I'm going to share with you something uh, about serving God through opposition. Opposition. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that where you are, there is hope. And Father, uh, where you are, we have power and strength to deliver the most powerful and most influential message on the face of the entire globe. That is, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the Christ child that came to die for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Raised in a tribe in the Philippines opposed to belief in Christ, Esther received salvation through Jesus after an aunt prayed for her during Esther's battle with a life-threatening disease. Today, Esther leads a Bible study in her local community in spite of the threats of violence and even death in her life. She serves joyfully saying, I can't stop telling people because I've experienced the power and the love and the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness of my God and King Jesus. Serving God in the face of opposition is a reality for many people, just as it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Israelis, Israelites, living in, actually at that time in Babylonian captivity. I'm, you know, I, I was, I was, I had to, I went, we had an executive meeting, I had an executive meeting with our, with Dr. Case yesterday, and we have it every Monday, and uh, I was going past a classroom, and I, and I was, was Brother Ramon's classroom, and, uh, and I, I, he was speaking in Greek, that was Greek, wasn't it? Hebrew, Hebrew, forgive me, <laughs> forgive me, my brother, it was Hebrew, and oh, thank you very much, thank you so much. <laughs> Agua, thank you. These sinuses will do it. You got to have a good belt every once in a while. And so I peeked in the room and I said, I'm hearing somebody speak in tongues. I might have the interpretation. But um, it was really cool hearing that because what I was thinking of was the way this professor and all of our professors were preparing you for the ultimate in what God is causing you, will cause you to deliver, regardless of what occupation you take, and that is delivering the powerful message of Jesus Christ, even through opposition. And you will have opposition. You're going to have opposition. But be of good cheer, he says. He's overcome the world. So, these three young guys... They testified of God's capable protection in their lives. But they chose to serve him, the scripture says, and I think it's uh, Daniel chapter 3 verse 18, even if, even if he didn't rescue them. Well, you know, well, my gosh, I mean, I'd love to serve the Lord and preach his, his word, but I don't want to die. <laughs> I don't want to be abused physically, emotionally, psychologically abused. So even if, well, I will, but even if they do that, well, through the even if. That's a powerful point. Even if 
he doesn't rescue. He, they said, even if he doesn't rescue us, we will worship him, we will praise him, and we will serve him. We will not bow down to this statue, this golden statue. And then when they were thrown into the fire, an agent of God, some can think it's Jesus, but an agent of God, a divine figure was with them in the midst of that fire. And he actually joined them, it says in verse 25. To everyone's amazement, they, they, they were saved from this. I mean, you might not believe it. How can you throw people in a furnace and then not uh, be consumed? It, not only that, the scripture says, not one hair on their head was singed. Not one. I believe it. Because to not believe it is to minimize who God really is. You know, it's interesting. The, the 2021 evangelical leaders survey asked U.S. evangelical leaders, pastors, missionaries, all kinds of various leaders, about their experience with persecution. And uh, there are also their projections uh, for persecution in the future. And while only 32% of them said they actually had received any type of persecution, it was interesting. 76% expect that persecution is on the horizon in the future. And I need to tell you, young men and women, it is. Oh, come on, Dr. Ray, you got to be kidding. It's, I mean, it's not all of that. I mean, I mean, no big deal. You know, I, you know, I'm just out and sharing the Lord and having a lot of fun. And it's, you're in a Bible college. You're somewhat of a cocoon. You're in training. You're going to receive persecution. Have you turned on the TV? I mean, I don't, oh no, listen, don't discourage me. I, I don't want to leave Bible college. You're called to this Bible college to make a massive impact in society. Leith Anderson, who was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, he made this statement. He said, American evangelical leaders recognize changes in the cultural wind. And if you've not noticed, there is all kinds of changes in the cultural wind. Just turn the TV on, start reading the internet, look around. There are changes coming, changes here and changes coming. And they, and they said they were anticipating a backlash against all evangelical leaders and other followers of Jesus Christ in the future. That does not mean you're going to be killed, and that does not necessarily mean that you're going to be, you know, beat up or chastised. It does mean that there is going to be persecution against the message that you're going to be delivering. There is what is known as soft persecution, and there is hard persecution in the world today. We here in the United States, we're, we're experiencing soft persecution. And soft persecution in the United States mainly uh, equates to be social and financial and political pressure on the churches. Not necessarily physical violence, although that is on the uprise a little bit. There has been some of that, but not necessarily that in the nation. Because of the moral stance that we take, because of the, the biblical issues that we have, because our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of love and the gospel of transformation that he preaches, we're going to take it on the chin for issues like abortion, child abuse, pedophilia, human trafficking, 
the destruction of the nuclear family. That is the mom and the dad and then the brothers and sisters in that. That's the nuclear family. Sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. Um, cohabitation and abstinence. Gender uh, dysphoria and reassignment surgery, which is prevalent today. Religious liberties, etc., etc. Because taking a stand on these and others like them, you are going to be in opposition to people. You need to be more relevant. Open your mind. I've opened my mind. <laughs> and I don't personally like what's in it half the time, to be honest with you. That's the reason I'm try constantly trying to fill it with the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're always on my mind, always on my mind. Willie Nelson, has anybody heard that? That was my Willie Nelson impersonation. Always on my mind. Willie Nelson hasn't been able to open his mind for a long, long time. <laughs> How many know Willie Nelson? How many know what I'm talking about? But two, three of them. You'll know what I'm talking about. It's out there. When you take a stand on social and biblical and moral issues, you're going to be in the fire just the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was. So what will your even if be? What is it? What is your even if going to be? Even if they say you're, you're not socially enlightened and, and, and you need to understand this cancel counterculture is we're just changing society and we're bringing society into a right frame of mind so that they'll understand the real truth of, of human understanding and, and, and human engaging. We understand what human engaging is all about. We've seen it. It ain't good. Now, it's a whole lot better if your mind has been rejuvenated and changed by the love of Christ. Somehow they think we Christians are just boring people. I've watched you young men and women. You're anything but boring. <laughs> you're active. You're fun. You're jovial. Oh, you get serious at times. But, you know, they need to come here and take a look at what we have. You've got to open your mind. Even if your convictions are old-fashioned, we don't do that anymore. We don't say that anymore. You don't have to. I mean, you need to be able to adapt the way you talk and the way you think. Even if you're harassed and and verbally abused because of your biblical stance. Even if, or even if your family members begin to distance themselves from you because of your belief system, and there are some of you where that's happened. Or even if you're targeted and you're called a hater and you're maligned and you're slandered as a result of your stand for Christ. And you will be. Now listen, I just need to tell you the truth here, young men and women. When you get out and you begin to go in whatever form of, of ministry you begin to, begin to enter into, these things are going to begin to happen to you to some degree wherever you go. What is your even if going to be? Even if you're politically and socially pressured for holding biblical views or what they call evangelical views. Now, with some, to be an evangelical is, well, why are you an evangelical? 
Forget calling yourself evangelical. That's all right. People ask me, what am I? I say, I'm a Jesus follower. That's what I am. How do you, what does that mean? I, I, I try to follow the words of Christ. And the words in the Old Testament, and in particular, the ones that God has given us through Christ that has provided love and grace for us. So you're going to hold up under this, uh, this opposition that the world is going to be throwing at you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 talks about the God of this world. And there is a God of this world. Well, you mean, you mean God Almighty. I do not mean God Almighty at all. There's a God of this world, and he's not for you. He's against you. His name is Satan. And it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world is blinding unbelievers. And so, you know, sometimes you talk to people and, and it's like, it's like just trying to describe the color orange to a blind man. How do you do that? Or someone who was born blind, or someone who un- can't even say, well, it's, it's orange, it's bright, it's bright. The, the, the fact is that we have a message that not everybody is going to understand. And, and uh, they're going to say to you, I don't get it, or I don't understand it. And you're going to keep preaching and keep ministering, it's going to seem like you're knocking on the door and they just can't open. Because the God of this world is blinding their eyes. Now, does that mean, necessarily, that their eyes are going to always be blinded? Come on, say it. No! Because Jesus has come to set them free. My eyes were blinded at one point. Raise your hands if at one point in your life you were blinded. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of you here. And that God of this world tried to subdue you and cause you to not be able to to, 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 to understand uh, uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that would set you free and set your heart free. And God met you. Because, I don't know, how many here, how many here uh, gave their hearts to Christ because of someone sharing the Lord with them, with you? Okay, there's quite a few. Bob Roush led me to Jesus in 1969 when I was a drug-crazed hippie at Ocean City, Maryland. Woohoo! And uh, I didn't know my head from a hole in the ground. I was just a drug-crazed musician, rock drummer. I didn't care about anything. I was on my way to Woodstock. And he shared the Lord. He was on furlough from uh, the Air Force, and he came, and he was with my wife, and, and uh, we were there, at, you know, we were there here. Her parents had a place there. They were renting, and, and make a long story short, he, <laughs> what, he did, what he did was um, he scared the you-know-what out of me. Because he told me, I mean, remember his words, uh, he was all filled with the life of Christ. It was the beginning of the Jesus people movement. And he said, Fred, <laughs> you'd have to know him. Do you know Jesus? And I was, well, I was raised in a large liturgical denomination, okay? I said, I, I, I think so. I, I mean, do you know him, man? I mean, do you know him in your heart? And do you know him in your mind? Do you walk with him? Do you love him? I mean, do you talk with him every day? I, I do the rosary. I, I mean, I, what are you talking about? He goes, man, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, this is how he did it. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. 
I said, I said, dude, and I wasn't in my right mind, I'm going to tell you. I wasn't in my right mind at the time. And I said, I'm going where? And he said, you're going to hell. And that's not all. Now, I'm not saying that I subscribe to all this, you know, his theology. I'm, and I don't know what, you know, there's a lot of questions. He said, not only are you going to hell, but when you go to hell, you're going to burn. And the thing about hell is you never stop burning. I said, brother, sign me up, man. What do I got to do? Uh, just to sign me up. <laughs> oh, you got it. And he gave me the, you know, the Romans road. And he told me, I said, I, get, I remember I gave my heart to the Lord about 20 times that night. <laughs> oh, God, please. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to burn. He said, I'm going to keep burning. I don't want to burn anymore. <laughs> that was 1969. I backslid that year. <laughs> Somehow I got away from it. I went in the Air Force, and then she, this gal, uh, reinforced that and let me to, and reinforced that, and I, gave, I just rededicated my life to Christ. The God of this world will do everything he can to stop you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the prince of the power of the air in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. They're out there, brothers and sisters. They're out there. And they're waiting for your message. Now hear me here. Hear me here. Listen. They're waiting for you and they're waiting for what you have to offer. And you have a lot to offer. Some of you don't think you're qualified. Listen. So will you hold on and will you hold under the opposition, the pressure? Will you hold up under the ridicule and the mockery and the persecution of this world by positioning yourself in an even-if stance? You might say, well, who am I? You know, I what am I going to do with all this political dysfunction? How can I be a... I mean, you're not going to get away from it. I'll just hide in the church. You can't hide in the church. You are the church. I'll just, I'll just be in ministry all the time. You're in ministry all the time. You're going to have a big bullseye put on your forehead. If you dare preach the gospel, it's going to be there even more personified. Hallelujah. Wow. We used to go down. I used to go down Baltimore Street. Baltimore Street is a bad, bad place, Okay. It's just, a red, it's called a, it's, it was in the year, it was red light district, if you know what a red light district is, I'm not just going, I'm not going to elaborate on it, okay? It's a bad, bad place, and myself and Tom Nelson and others, we'd go down there and preach the gospel, and these people were coming out of all these various places, and they were drunk, and they were, we just preached the gospel to them, shared Jesus with them wherever we went. We were all over those guys like, wait on rice. Some of them got saved, some of them got set free. But they would say, don't go down to Baltimore Street because it's, it's, you, know, you can get shot down there. I, didn't ha- I guess I had a lot of zeal but no wisdom. I, I thought, well, you know, whatever. I don't want to get shot, but I got to share. You, you can't be afraid of the thing that God has placed on your heart to do. I'm assuming you are not here at Elam Bible Institute because you're pursuing to be a rocket scientist. You're here for a purpose. We're here at Elam, and now we offer a theological degree. But listen to me now. Hopefully, by the grace of God, we're going to have a business degree come fall. That's our hopes. It's on that, that's that way, but 
we'll be able to confirm that. But we're going to have a social worker degree, and we're going to have an education degree, and all of those are on the horizon. And you could say, you know, what's the difference? You know, what, what, what difference am I going to be able to make in all of this? You know, uh, I mean, other than the theological degree. So if I get a business degree or a social worker degree or education degree, well, what's the big deal? I, I don't have a theological degree. Look, we don't train for just degrees here. We train leaders is what we train for whatever degree that you end up getting. Leaders, life changers, those who position themselves to be able to find themselves catapulted in a secular arena, not being fearful in whatever you do. Whether you're a, a social worker, you're a counselor, whether you're a business person, whether you're involved in education, and the Lord knows we need good educators nowadays. You don't have to have a theological degree for that. Our mission statement, and you've heard it before, but I just want to share it real quick. Preparing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered leaders for global revival. And that's just not for those who get a theological degree. What we're doing is we're infiltrating the societal marketplace with evangelists holding professional degrees. Just because you somehow don't hold a theological degree doesn't mean that you're not a culture changer. You're a bearer of the light of Christ here to challenge this generation of young men and women, and you're the only one that can do it. My old rusty self can't do it anymore. God Gabriel can because he's a very young man. And a few others can. You've got to do it. You really got to do it. You got to do it. Zach, you know that? You know you do, don't you? You got to do it, Johnny Cool. God, I wish I had that name. <laughs> You've been called to do it. All the way from California. <laughs> All of you have. You are the ones that God has given the keys to this generation. We had our go at it. We're now instructors. We're encouraging you. We're the cheerleaders moving you on. Listen, Bethlehem was a little teeny town. It was insignificant in comparison to all of the towns that were around Bethlehem. In the message, the message version of the Bible, if you look at Micah in chapter 5 and verse 2, Bethlehem is called the runt of the litter. The runt of the litter. Now, if you're buying a dog and you're spending a lot of money for the dog, you don't normally look for the runt of the litter. You look for the robust dog. The dog that's really, you know, uh, you know shows real personality and, and go get him this. I just made that word up, by the way. How do you like that? You don't normally look at the, at the runt of the litter. Bethlehem was known as the runt of the litter. The mud on the heel. There was nothing really to that. And why would God choose this unimportant, this insignificant, this trivial, not offering anything, little town, to bring the king of kings in and birth him in? The runt of the litter? Now, when I go... I get a hotel because I'm a little older now. I used to be, I'd, I'd, I'd sleep in anything. I, I'd sleep on a bed of nails. It wouldn't make any difference. Now, because I get a little age on me, I want something soft. Something that's nice. 
got to pay a little more money, something that I won't have a backache when I get up in the morning. I spend a little bit more money. I want something a little bit better. But I don't normally hop into a, you know, one of those 1995 hotels. Because if you go into a 1995 dollar hotel, you'll wake up with a $5,000 headache, I can tell you that. So, yet, from this, from this place, this runt of the litter, this, this worthless place where nobody really wanted to go, a bunch of shepherds in it. Brother Moe, you've been to Bethlehem before? Three years? Is there bigger and better cities around it? So back then, it wasn't worth a whole lot. So Isaiah says of this place, and what's coming out of this place, in Isaiah in chapter 9, this is what he said, coming out of Bethlehem. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government, and governments will rest upon his shoulders. That's the reason people say, are you frightened what's going on in the United States? Are you gonna, I, I tell you what, God Almighty, through Christ our Lord, has the governments upon his shoulders. He calls every shot. Nothing escapes him. Nothing escapes him. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. From insignificance, this this little child becomes the greatest eternal life changer of all time. Yes, through much opposition. And it was this child, and it was this son, and it was this Messiah that said in John chapter 14, verse 12, he said this, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I'm doing. And they will do even greater works than these, or greater things than these, because I go to be with the Father. Who's he talking to? Raise your hand for me, would you please? You. That's who he's talking to. I could shout right now. He's talking to you. And he's talking about you. No matter where you come from, no matter how insignificant you feel, God has called you to greatness to be a life changer through him. And through any type of opposition... You're called to be the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. You can't be, you see. Because all hope is found in the people of God. Now, when I say that, I mean, of course, our hope ultimately is in Christ our Lord. But the people that carry out bearing that light and sharing the gospel through opposition are the ones that God is calling to change society. You change society one heart, one conversion, one enlightenment, one being set free at a time. That's what God has called us to. You're the light in the darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, If you were once in darkness, but now you're in light in the Lord. Live as children of light, spreading the gospel, listen, through anointed protection. God's here to protect you as well. 
He isn't going to set you out in opposition just so you can somehow get hurt. The thing is this, and that is that God has never been interested in the world's definition of greatness or the world's definition of wealth or the world's definition of fame or popularity or power or talent. None of these ultimately are noteworthy with God. None of these really are something that God really looks to when he looks to you. You know, it was the people that took Saul and said, just, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's a tall guy. We'll just take him. We don't have anybody else. God doesn't do that stuff. Side of your door. He was a he was U.S. ministries director. He a, was a great man here at Elam Fellowship. He married uh, Carlton Spencer's daughter, um, Esther. He, to this day, has pioneered more churches for the Elam Fellowship than any other credential holder in the existence of 100 years. I think there's nine churches. Every one of them thrive to this day. They call him the Cal Ripken of church planning. However, if you looked at him, just a little guy, bald head, wore his ties kind of high. When he wore shorts down to here, he wore black socks and dress shoes. Remember? So he'd walk around, and even when he, he was always working with his tie. And, and he would sometimes grab for his tie when he didn't have his tie on because he'd be jerking that thing. You'd look at him and go, he even said it in a seminar once. Because he, had a, he, had a, he had a number of big churches, one in specific, and they said, well, what, what is the key? What is the key to, to greatness in God? And he said, I remember over there at college, he said, look at me. Do I look like greatness to you? I just love the Lord, and I'm willing to believe God that he's going to do the work. All of those churches thrive to this day. And the scripture says, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Bear with me here. Where am I at? Oh, yeah, I got one minute. He said, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's me. That's me. He doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. You know why? Because... You might say you're weak, but God says you're strong. You might say you're a sinner, but God says you're forgiven. You might say, I feel abandoned. I've felt abandoned throughout the course of my life, but God says you have been adopted. You might say, I feel broken throughout the course of some days and even what I go through. And God says, you're whole and you're healed. I'll make sure of that. You might even say, I feel alone. And I feel no one is with me. And he said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. You may say you're worthless. And God says you're worth it. You may say, I'm not special. I don't have anything to offer. And God says, you were wonderfully made. How many believe that? Amen? How many actually believe that? I'm not special. God says you're wonderfully made. All of the unimportance, all of us, somehow we think that, what am I going to do? How can I make a difference in a world that may not accept what I'm saying? Or 
I don't think that necessarily I'm adapted or prepared or have what it takes to be able to follow through in what God would want me to do. You, say this with me. Sorry, stand on your feet. Look at you ready to go. Me and Jesus. Just one more. I know you're most There he goes again with the Sesame Street thing. Okay. Me and Jesus is a majority in anything I'll ever do. You and Jesus are a majority in anything in the world that you're going to want to do. So you, you believe God because when you leave these doors, God has big plans for you. Big plans. Good things, brother, for you. Massive things for you. You know, a bunch of things for you. How many believe the word of God? How many are ready to be used of God? But you've got to finish here first. Not that God can't use you if you're not finished here, but there's, this is an equipping place. Bow your heads with me. Father, in, the light, in light of opposition, in light of what's going on in this world, you have chosen young men and women, not just in this Bible college, but in other Bible colleges, that are going to make the impact in this world, the impact in this country, the impact in this state, the impact in the nations, God, that you have called them to. And you have protected them and you will continue to protect them because, Lord Jesus, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, I will serve God regardless. You're not going to make me bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. I choose to believe God. And as a result of that, we talk about those three guys to this day. They made a massive impact. And so, Father, so is it with these young men and women, too. In the midst of operation, I mean, uh, 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 opposition, Father, allow them to see and let them know who they are in God. Regardless of how they feel, God, let them see who they are, what they are, and what you've given them, and let them settle for nothing else but the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives to be catapulted in all that you have purposed for them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...